VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is the briefing room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, a special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Caitlin Nelson. She is an assistant editor and writer at KillerHorrorCritic.com, and she also writes on Medium. She, uh, her focus is analysis on the use of disability in horror, among other things. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, yeah. so excited to be here. We're excited we to have you here. have you. <laughs> we always talk about how it's really kind of cool to put like a voice and like actually get to talk to people that we interact with um, in a very visual medium in like yeah. a now audio medium. I'm saying it's just like DMing you. It's like, oh my God, you have a voice. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like first question for you, Caitlin, is how did you get into horror? <laughs> so <laughs> so I was like traumatized by horror for in, uh, like – an incredibly long time. And the thing that actually got me into like enjoying watching horror was, um, I was at a slumber party when I was like 16 or something. And my friends sat on my legs so that I wouldn't run away. Oh no. And played that we went and rented. The only one that I remember, I know there were three, but the only one that I remember is the Hills have eyes. Oh no. The original one or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they knew that I would leave because up until that point, every time someone turned on a horror movie, I would just leave the room. <laughs> wow. But they did. And we watched all three and I don't know what it was about that. If it was like immersion therapy or something, but after <laughs> that, I just watched all the things and here I am. What is it about like slumber parties or like, you know, uh, sleepovers that like, just that seems to be the going thing is that everyone wants to like watch a horror movie. I wonder why that is. I feel like it was because from what, what I remember, it was 
it was like, oh, who's cool enough to watch a scary movie? And you wanted to look cool in front of your, all your friends oh. who could watch them. Mm-hmm. But then it got to the point where I only had like three friends that I really like <laughs> had sleepovers with. And we just love being scared. So we try to outdo each other. Um, <laughs> not always fun. <laughs> when you're like, oh, oh, no, things are real fucked up. Um, but that's how I saw it. I saw it as like a like who can who's the scaredy cat. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It was always me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. I am the scary cat. <laughs> so I I know that you said that like because you said this was you were 16 when the, when this particular event happened, right? Yes, and actually the grudge came before it. So I was still like petrified of watching uh-huh. movies, but I was coerced into watching it. So actually the first time I watched the grudge was like mostly from behind a pillow. Okay, well, mm. let's let's put a pin in that. We'll get to that a little bit yes. later. Um, we'll get there. So, <laughs> did you have any horror faves growing up, or any movies that were like genre adjacent, or anything that you watched? Actually, the more I think about it, the more it's like, why didn't I start watching the movie sooner? Because I actually read a lot. Like, I read a lot of Edgar uh, Allan Poe. I read uh, a lot of like Agatha Christie, and all of that kind of stuff, like endlessly. So I was reading way before. I actually remember the first time I read um, Telltale Heart for a class. It like blew my mind. And I think I was the only person in the classroom with a smile on my face. But I was like, this is the greatest (laughs) thing I've ever read. But I was so afraid. It was like I was afraid to watch it happen on the screen. I don't know. I think that's that's interesting. That's actually really interesting because I feel like in a way, like you're reading it and you can make it as scary as you want, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can kind of change your brain to, like, thinking it's less scary, but with it's on the screen, like, it's already spelled out for you. And then you can pause a movie, but with the books, even that, it's pretty easy. It's even easier to just, like, slam it shut. Uh-huh. So I wonder – that definitely makes sense, though, to me. Yeah, I don't know, because I never did. Like, I never, like, had to really take – I read a lot of Stephen King. I still read a lot of Stephen King and, like, all that stuff. And I did have to stop – like, I was reading It, and I had to stop reading It for, like, six months, but <laughs> – also it is this bigger than the bible though (laughs) well uh, it is a very large book you know what's what's interesting though is that like what you're talking about about slamming shut the book and not approaching it for six months reminded me of when i was a kid uh i was really big into reading fantasy novels i really liked reading there was um a a dungeon dragons novel series uh, called dragonlance and there was like a, a series of books and I remember getting to the very last book and one of my favorite characters like dies. And I remember slamming shut that book, throwing it across the room. And it took me almost a year to like <laughs> pick it up and read it again. It's, it's interesting that like, I don't know, I, the books can like cause that such a violent I did, reaction. I did that with dark tower. I did exactly that with dark tower. I finished dark tower and then I threw the book across the room. <laughs> I, I did that with – oh, shit. What's the Stephen King story? I think it's Night in, in Night Shift. I think it's called Night Shift for the guys, the boogeyman. Oh, I've not the read. short story. I'm not as familiar with his short story work. I think that's like one of my blind spots for him. Oh, I think it's just called – oh, it's just called the boogeyman. Oh, oh the boogeyman. Well, I made it much more complicated than it had to be. But yeah, there is a <laughs> short story in Night Shift called Boogeyman that I read and I threw it across the room. I have never done that since. But I read it and like just it was like a cursed object in my head. I had to just yeet it out of existence. I was like, nope. And just nope. Never again. <laughs> and then I reread it and it's still very good. But whew. again, I was like also 12, I think. So I, again, like the age. Yeah. Wasn't helpful. <laughs> Do you remember what your, your very first horror movie was? I can't 
remember if okay. it was because there are like a few that really stick out. So it was I have done Saw and The Ring, which I watched from like fifteen feet away. Wait, did you or did, when you said do you mean the movie Saw? Did you say you Saw the movie? Or yeah, the, you saw. Okay, how old were you when you saw Saw? <laughs> uh well I was still I was still like maybe preteen. I didn't really watch wow. it a lot when I was like a child. But it's I, Terry I think Caitlin's younger than me. No, I know. I'm just I'm just amazed that you saw saw at such an early age. I know. <laughs> that's more that's more of what my wow was about. Yeah. Wait, how how old are you, Caitlin? I'm twenty seven. Oh, never mind. We're the same age. Just kidding. We're the same age. Yeah. So, but I watched like when I was growing up, when I was really young, right? I watched like Courage the Cowardly Dog was like my favorite. So I don't okay. really know what my brain is about, but. <laughs> Who did we talk to recently about Courage? Ah, uh, was it Gory Cory? It might have been, yeah. Because I we were talking about it because I was like, oh my god, Courage the Cowardly Dog was like definitely how I watched horror without like that yeah. Invader Zim was like how I watched horror without watching horror and yeah, absolutely quotes, like, Invader yeah. Zim. Oh my god. Yeah. Um I love him. Anyway. Um But it's interesting that so many people get started with like reading horror instead of watching it. That's so fascinating. I mean, there is for sure definitely a, a single cursed cowardly dog episode that I still have to skip as a grown person because it just freaks me out too much. Oh uh, really? It's fine. Tell me what it is. It's the um the one with the tablet and King Ramsey. <gasps> Return the, yeah. the slab. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, my mom knows he, that, so she walks around the house just saying it to me every once in a while. No, <laughs> but then it's like it's that creepy thing, and then they have the song like it's Ramsey's yeah. the man of gauze, the man yeah. of gauze. Um, I love that episode. If you can't tell everybody, <laughs> but it is horrifying. Um, so Caitlin, what draws you to horror now as an adult? So now I think it's much more. I'm still like I still. I really do enjoy being scared now, so that's part of it. But also, I use it a lot to work through some of my own personal issues. So, like, mm. I am really interested in the psychological kind of stuff. I'm really interested in, like, rape revenge. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm also really interested in found footage, but I can't really rationalize that one as easily. It just... <laughs> <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> yeah. You talked about being like being scared now. So do you so you still so you still feel that kind of childhood fear now when you watch horror? Yeah, I get like really oh, awesome. invested into things. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. That's the okay, so so many people including ourselves talk about how they don't get as scared, but I love hearing that you still get scared. Oh yeah, I, love I that. still get scared. I still get like I get like really into whatever it doesn't even matter. It could be like a slasher and something about it I'm going to like get invested and then I'm going to cry at the end or something like that. It's ridiculous. I love that. I though. love that. So, don't lose that feeling. Don't lose that. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like as 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 kind of jaded adults, we sort of are like still chasing that kind of fear that brings us back to that childhood moment. So I love that that you still get scared watching movies because I I kind of wish I did the same. So what was the last movie you watched that made you scared like that? Let's see. What's the last one that I actually watched? Because I have like this mythic thing in my head for Brian Bertino. So I haven't watched Dark <gasps> and the Wicked yet. I haven't watched it yet because I'm so like I built it up in my head. It's this horrifying thing. So I, oh, it I just is. got it. I just got it in the mail on the Blu-ray. Caitlin, also, I think that we have the same brain. Yeah. 
<laughs> the same age. Yeah. We live near each other. I'm not convinced that we're not the same person. Anyway. Um, but mm, the last one I actually watched that did that, Invisible Man, really messed me up mm, for a while. Yes. <laughs> Relic yes. did as well. Yeah. Relic, uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. Like, it's like the really intense, like scary trauma of Invisible Man and like the really awful slow burn. Yeah. Like, oh my God, of Relic. Wow. Um, and so what are some of your favorite horror movies as an adult? So I'm going to try not to go on a tangent, but I really love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. Fuck, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I I know everybody hates Franklin. I love Franklin. I don't love Franklin, but I like Franklin more than most people. Tell me more. Why? Yeah. Okay. So I've actually written about him, and uh, I did, I think, I don't know if it was a group piece or if I did it on my own. I can't remember anymore. But I was writing about Franklin in Texas Chainsaw because the more that I watch it, the more that I realize, like, the things that he's complaining about all have to do with, like, being in this group of people that do not give a shit about, like, what he needs as a person in a wheelchair. And so actually, mm. like, the reason, not the reason, he probably would have died anyway, because let's be honest, but the reason <laughs> that he dies in the way he did is, like, he's trying to tell Sally how to push his wheelchair to navigate the terrain better and she's not really listening mm. uh, he's trying to tell her how to push it or not push it or like how to angle it so that he can move better and she's not really listening and then you know he gets it but there's a thing that happens that i've noticed where it's like when there's 20 or 30 minutes left in any almost any movie if there's a person who is disabled in a wheelchair or whatever they're gonna die at right about that time mark <laughs> Okay, because we were talking about this with Friday the 13th Part 2, yes. right? Yeah. Because that the the we talked about in the episode, the hunky guy in the wheelchair, hunky mm -hmm. boy in a wheelchair. What other movies have you seen that happen in? I mean, I, there aren't a lot of, I feel like there aren't that many horror movies that deal with. There aren't a lot. And I I, I really love Run for that. Because, yeah, I was going to mm -hmm. ask you if you'd seen Run. Yes, yes, yes. And I loved it because it did, it showed like a lot of things, like the opening. Have you guys seen it? Oh, yeah. I have not, but don't okay. worry. I'll just listen. Okay. So the opening few minutes of it where, like, she's born and stuff when she's really, really small like that, like, that is what happened. That's what it was like when I was born. I was in, like, the little NICU box and, you know, nobody could touch me. And I've never really seen that in any mm. kind of horror film. And I brought my mom in when I was watching to, like, make sure that that's really what it was like. And she just started crying. And I was oh, like, my God. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah. But she, you know, is fantastic, not necessarily because she's disabled. She's fantastic because she's, like, strong and independent and all of these other things. But also happens to use a wheelchair. I don't know. And she lives the whole time. It's great. We love it. It doesn't happen very much. It's happening a lot more now than it used to. And I love to see it. Yeah. And uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they uh, cast someone with a, a disability in yes. the role too? Yeah. He made it a priority to cast um, someone who used a wheelchair for the role. Yeah. 
Fuck yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so Texas Chainsaw and I Revenge is my favorite thing. Hell yes. <laughs> we don't like revenge here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> One of us did not write a paper on revenge. <laughs> I also really love The Strangers, but I can't bring myself to watch it very often because I just won't sleep for a month. I, I mean, fair. It's... <laughs> It's, it's it's so scary still that movie is still so scary yeah so about your writer uh-huh. how, how did you get started in the world of writing so i've i've been writing just generally for basically ever somewhere in my house there is a published little hamster cinderella story that i wrote when i was like four years old but (laughs) but for like actual critical writing like this i started i guess around 2015 2016 i wrote for a site and then it went under pretty quickly it wasn't getting a lot of attention um so i moved all of that stuff over to medium and actually matt from killer horror critic hired me from twitter (laughs) <laughs> because, yeah. because of my uh in part because of my jennifer's body article fuck yeah love that yeah he put out a call for writers and i had a panic attack for like 10 seconds and then reached out to him and he was like hell yeah <laughs> and i was like oh my god and so i was a staff writer for about a year and then he promoted me to assistant editor that's awesome that's so cool. yeah Sometimes Twitter is good. Sometimes Twitter is a good thing. No, it, it is. Absolutely. Uh, can you tell listeners a little bit about KillerHorrorCritic.com and what it, what it kind of is about? Okay, so we're still trying to um, expand the kind of things we put out. But for the most part, it is – this is our first year covering Sundance. It's very oh, my exciting. God. Yeah. Oh, are you yes. covering Sundance too? Yes. 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 Nice. Oh, my God. Yay. Oh, All three so of exciting. us. So um, that's really great. It means we're getting more attention than it than it was when it was just because it used to be just Matt like doing all of the things, writing yeah. reviews and doing interviews and all that kind of stuff. And it was just him, and he got I guess you know overwhelmed and put out a call for writers. And so now our staff is actually really really diverse. Actually, the more people we bring on, the more <laughs> the more there's like we have disabled people such as myself there are queer people we have danny who is uh, non-binary it's all of us but we do reviews and we do like analysis pieces we do anniversary pieces uh we do interviews we have a werewolf series going on that's been going on for a couple of months it's really fantastic one of our writers is doing uh Going through werewolf cinema, she started in like the 1910s and she's just reached the Ooh. 70s. Oh, wow. Oh. I was just telling awesome. someone how I don't know as much about werewolf movies as I should. So I don't either. <laughs> and it's a literal joy to edit every week. Like her stuff, she's in, like the last one I did. I have now edited two pieces that are about werewolf pornos, which I don't know if you knew were a thing. I sure didn't. Um, no, I didn't. Like, yeah. like it's actual <laughs> porn? with. I suppose. Okay. She has I mean, some gen- real dedication to her um yeah. to her endeavor. That does I, exist. I'm glad you know that, Terry. <laughs> 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 but also I love the dedication of watching werewolf porn for 
a column. That's what that's that's yeah. what writing that's what writing is all about. Watching really weird shit and then writing about it, and you're like, yeah, I watched that for work. It's kind of <laughs> rad. Yeah. Wait, what's the weirdest thing you guys have ever had to watch for a piece? This is a, this is a good question that I want to know the answer to. The weirdest thing that I have ever... Okay, oh God, oh God, okay. So there's only one thing I've had to watch that haunts... It haunts me. Um, I didn't... It's not It's not very good. It looks like it was made for like $5. But um, it's called uh, Girls Just Want to Have Blood. Oh. It is a vampire movie. It's... It's... It looks like it was made for $5. They're, they look like they had a lot of fun making it. So, you know, that's cool. But it... Uh, has two in-film pornos. Hmm. Oh! Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah, I did have to... They're, they're like um, exorcisms, but... But sex? With porn, yeah. Oh! Like his... His, um, his jizz is uh, what brings the demon out of her, I guess. So he... Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. I mean... <laughs> The healing power of jizz. It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was. The movie is, is what it is, and then there's that, and I'm just like, okay, I'm checking out. And what is this called again? It's called Girls Just Want to Have Blood. The actual poster and everything looks way cooler than, than it deserves. Oh, yeah, that is that is kind of a, um intriguing poster. Mm-hmm. And it is a vampire movie, you know, Being one of the vampires has like a batman backstory it's very huh it's, well, then. it's, it's amazing but it haunts me <laughs> wow yeah uh what about you terry what's the weirdest thing you've ever had to watch i really can't about? i don't really have anything like I, I was trying to think while well when you asked that question and literally the only thing i could come to mind is and it's not weird it's just kenneth i had never seen kenneth anger films and i had watched oh. a bunch of his like short films uh, when I was when I was talking about uh the porno movie again, oh, <laughs> porn, pornos, right. guys, just everywhere. <laughs> uh, because of I, I mean the the movie in porno is sort of like adjacent to like a Kenneth Anger type yeah. thing. So like I watched a bunch of those, uh, both for that and for the podcast because I, I wanted to ask questions about to Kiola about it. Literally, that's like that's like it, and it's not even it's not even weird. <laughs> is like a little strange i mean it's like, not mainstream but yeah fine fair <laughs> but like i don't know it's not i don't know it, it doesn't seem that weird to me <laughs> yeah that's fair what about you mary beth um i was trying to think about it because i've watched some weird shit for research like on youtube for like because found footage research really leads you to some weird places on yeah. the internet and some weird things where you're like, I'm not sure if that's real or not. But I think the weirdest thing I've ever had to watch for review is the clown NATO. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll watch it. This is be funny. And I watched it in an airport, which was really stupid. Um, <laughs> don't do that. It was just a lot. Again, a lot of titties with evil clowns that made a giant clown tornado. <laughs> So what you're telling me is the name does not lie. The name does not lie at all. I feel like if you got really drunk and wanted to watch a movie, this is probably a good <laughs> a good thing for you to watch. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um so Caitlin, you 
said that you special like you write you like writing about um, disability and horror. How did you come about wanting to kind of focus on that with your work? Actually, I think it's because like this genre is kind of the only one that really explores it in any kind of deep way. Even though mostly they all end up dying until recently, uh, you mm-hmm. know, because every other genre is like makes it into some kind of a sob story or yeah, like, you know, so horror was really kind of the only place to really dig into like, how would I survive this kind of situation? Or, you know, what does it look like to even be in that situation as somebody who uses crutches or a wheelchair or anything? Like that. So I always, and it's also, you know, kind of the only genre that's really making an effort to cast actual disabled people in the roles. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and I always really love to see that. I love to write about, you know, because I always, now that I've seen it start to happen, I always kind of do the research to see if the person in the role is actually, um, is actually disabled in the way that they're portraying it, or even if they're not, if they're disabled in some way at all. Yeah. it's It doesn't happen very often, but because I pay attention to it, I've noticed it's happening more often now than it used to, and that's that's really exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, that is cool. Um, So we've talked about some of your creative endeavors and how you got into horror, but uh, Caitlin, what movie are we talking about today? Today I have brought with me The Grudge from 2004 because it haunts my dreams. When someone dies in the grip of a powerful rage, a curse is born. There's something else here. And once it sees you, you can't escape the fury of the grudge. The grudge. So this is The Grudge. This is the American remake of The Grudge, just for everyone to know. This is a wild movie. Um, The synopsis kind of gets to it, but I'm not sure you guys can let me know if this is true. So a man, his wife, and the mother move from America to Tokyo. They move into a house that has been a site of supernatural occurrences. And then, uh, of course, things start breaking bad for them as well. The house... um, as it turns out, is the site of a curse that lingers in a specific place and claims the lives of anyone that comes near. When someone dies in the grip of a powerful rage, a curse is born. <laughs> the curse gathers in that place of death. Those who encounter it will be consumed by its fury. That's at the start of every movie. <laughs> and I know this by heart now because I watched all four fucking movies. You watched day. all of every single four. one of them? Yeah, every single one of them. Well, actually, no. I take it back. the re- the two thousand the two the twenty twenty version does change it up a little bit, but I don't remember exactly. Oh. But yeah, no. That's um. That's pretty much the opening line in all of them. <laughs> but enough about me. Let, let's take it back. When did you first <laughs> see this movie? And um, give us your horror story. How old were you? What was the situation? Just tell us everything. Okay, I think I was like 14. So it was before I really got into enjoying watching horror movies. And I don't remember exactly how it came about, but I was definitely coerced into sitting down and watching it. 
with someone in my family, and I don't want to say I wasn't allowed to leave because I probably could have, but I would have heard about it later. So I yeah. just like sat, <laughs> sat there <laughs> and watched it with a pillow covering like ninety percent of my face, <laughs> and but I still watched it. You know, all the way through, there was still part of me that was like, I kind of want to see what happens. But it, I think the thing that was the worst is this is actually the sound. I was actually going to say that 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 hiding your face behind a pillow doesn't really save you from this movie because <laughs> the thing no. that I noticed about the first one in particular is the use of sound. So <laughs> I could only imagine fourteen-year-old Caitlin hiding behind this. This pillow for protection and then still hearing yeah. the cat sounds and the uh, the death rattle uh. and all of that. Yeah. And it's so – so I have an older brother and I wasn't watching it with him, but, you know, everybody knows that sound from this movie. So he and also my mom sometimes after I watched it would just – go around and like make that sound at me oh my god my uh, family did the same thing like and basically that was sounded not leave my house like mm-hmm. it, it was and it was in the trailers like not most of my family hadn't even seen it but they thought it was so funny that my brother would just do it and make mm-hmm. that sound yeah i was the one doing that sound <laughs> yeah of course you fucking were <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> so you sat there watching, not watching uh, the movie for the entire time. Do you remember any particular scenes that like you managed to glimpse? Yeah. So I did actually watch at least most of it. I'm pretty sure there was at least one time where I definitely hid my face all the way. But I, I know that I watched most of it because when I was revisiting it for this this weekend. I was watching it with my mom, and both of us were like, I remember the scenes, but I don't remember when they happen. I'm so scared right now. <laughs> so it's the ones that stick out to me, even just like thinking about it before I rewatched it, is always like the kid, Toshio. I, I love Toshio, but he scares me. Yes. Um, and uh, when Yoko turns around and she doesn't have a jaw. Oh, yeah. <gasps> yes. Oh, my God. That yeah. scene is perfect. It's so good. Okay, also, I did not realize that Sam Raimi was involved in this movie. Yeah, his his production company, Ghost yeah. House Pictures. So cool. so cool. But so after you watched The Grudge and you were followed around <laughs> by <laughs> screeching family members, like how so- else did it affect you after you had saw after you had seen it? Obviously, you haven't watched it since you're 14, so it got under okay. your skin. <laughs> yeah. So okay, my coping mechanism, like. My- chosen coping mechanism is incredibly on brand for me. I got so freaked out that the only way I could think to get it out of my head was to uh, write a sequel. Oh. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, so I had a a notebook and like uh, one of those pens that has like multiple colors in it, right? So I I wrote it out by hand with like multiple I had one color for like flashbacks and one color for like current Oh my god! Time, so it was very ridiculous of me, but it it worked. That's amazing! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Publish Ooh. Caitlin. <laughs> publish the Caitlin cut. <laughs> do you still have? Do you still have your uh, your story that you wrote? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I still have a notebook somewhere. I don't really throw away notebooks, so it might be around, but I'm not sure where it is. Do you remember what 
what you wrote, what what the sequel was, how it how it turned out? Uh, well, I'm sure it wasn't very good because I was, you know, like 14 or 15 years old, and I've gotten much better since then. But, I still got to um... know. I got to know how the story <laughs> continues in Caitlin's world, because let me tell you, it doesn't continue very well in the sequels. <laughs> Well, I know you, you had said you were watching the sequels and I had said something about, you know, I haven't seen the second one, but I've seen the third one. And the only good thing about that one is actually the way they use the sound. Everything else is just a lot. The third one is terrible. It's really bad. You haven't seen any of the others, have you, Mary Beth? I've seen, I've seen two. I haven't seen three. Okay. So three picks up right where the sequel ends with the, the surviving boy. Right. And he gets killed in the first five minutes, as is typical with any with any of these grudge sequels. Um, but then the rest of the movie, it's one group of characters. It's one timeline. It's told in chronological order. And it's more of an Amityville horror knockoff with Japanese ghosts in it than it is anything else. It is terrible. Cool. It was boring. Yeah, it was really cool. it. Yeah, I tried. I was like, oh, I'm going to be brave and do this thing. And then I was bored. And then they did the sound. And I was like, okay, I'm not bored. And then they stopped. And I was like, I'm bored again. So- <laughs> I ended up fast forwarding through some of it. <laughs> um, okay, so when you wrote this, this, the sequel, yes. uh, did that did that solve everything? Or did it just sort of help you um, deal with it more? I mean, I didn't revisit it. But um, it did. I was a very impressionable child. I'm still pretty, like, if I watch something at a certain time and I don't cleanse my brain beforehand, I'll have nightmares and stuff. So uh, I did, like, have nightmares about it uh, after I watched it. So actually writing did sort of help with that. I didn't really have nightmares about it anymore. I didn't really <laughs> hear hear the sound unless a family member was making it right. in my ears. So it did help in a weird way. I guess it's not weird. It's how I deal with everything, but it did help in a weird way. I've never done that for any other movie wow. that I've watched. It's wow. it only that one. Well, it's amazing to me because like you said that earlier, you said that one of the first movies that you had seen, and I think this is why I was so like incredulous is one of the first horror movies you saw was, was Saw and you probably mm-hmm. saw that before Grudge, I'm assuming. And so like, I, it, it's amazing to me that, that Saw didn't affect you like it, or did it affect you in that in the same way cuz like you say that you that like you had never been affected by a movie as much as as the grudge so i'm just yeah. i was kind of curious well uh it it did in a way i was okay. kind of being like a shitty preteen in that i was <laughs> i was forced to watch saw kind of i wasn't really forced but you know right my mom was like you have to see this movie it's really and i know why she wanted me to see the movie it's very psychological it's very my shit now yeah <laughs> but it was not when i was that so i just i just tried really hard not to pay attention to saw okay <laughs> mm, okay so, like, when all the body horror stuff started happening, I was like, I, I've checked out of this whole room. <laughs> but the uh, grudge, I, I pretty much paid attention the whole time. So it really uh, just lived in my brain. Well, you know, the thing that I really like about the grudge is the way that it is structured so that it never it never really lets up. Um, because, like, no. every single vignette is its own little 
short story horror movie. Mm -hmm. And so you never really know what to expect. And so I was thinking about this when you said, Caitlin, that when you rewatched it, you and your mom were, were thinking that you couldn't remember when anything happened in terms of the scares. And I think that's one of the successes about this is that because it is sort of it told in this patchwork fashion that you never really have that sort of like slow build up something spooky is happening and then something terrifying happens that happens in most haunted house movies because from the opening moments you are just being bombarded by all of these jump scares and all of these like little tense moments yeah and we actually yeah. we were so i did some reading after we watched it so like because we are watching it we're like all of this happens really close together, you know, with the exception of like what happens with the professor, which is like three years earlier than everything else. Like everything else happens. It seems to happen within like a matter of days, which is wild. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. I saw this movie. This is one of those movies. This in the ring were two movies that like lived in my head rent free my entire, my entire childhood and like built up at these horrific narratives. Like, the Ring and the Grudge were this like the, the idea like the scariest movies to me in my head, and I hadn't even seen them. Um, <laughs> I just saw the commercials for them mm -hmm. and was like, absolutely fucking not. And so I built the Grudge up in my head and built it up and built it up, and I finally watched it, and it, it scared the absolute shit out of me. But in watching it, I remembered things in the wrong places. So the part mm -hmm. that really got under my skin was when they find the jawbone up in the ceiling. Yeah. And they're like, okay, there's the dead couple, but who does the jaw belong to? <laughs> and I thought that happened at the beginning because that stuck out. So, like, I texted Terry, fuck the beginning of this movie. And I was like, oh no, this is not the beginning. This is actually kind of towards the end. Yeah. This movie had like so many weird moments that I really remembered. Like, there was a part where Clay Javal, who is in this movie, right. weird, when she's buying ramen. And when she's trying to figure out like what the ramen yeah. smells like, yeah. that reason that that scene has been in my head, and I there's no real reason. Like it's not scary; <laughs> it's very mundane. But like that scene stuck out so vividly in my mind, and I totally forgot about like they were all different vignettes. They're not just one story with Sarah Michelle Gellar, whose mm -hmm. name is Karen. Right. <laughs> it's it's non-linear, which is really interesting. And so this movie had like a deeply deep effect on me not just from seeing it from just like it being around and seeing trailers and like wanting so badly to watch it but feeling like too much of a coward to see it and i think it's still pretty creepy i will say oh yeah no it definitely held we watched it in the morning because we were like we're not doing this at night and we did not turn like our sound system on full blast <laughs> because we love ourselves <laughs> so it definitely and it, even watching it like that it still you know got us in exactly almost exactly the same ways and places that it did when i was younger and even the death rattle at the end like it just ends that way and i'm like i can't believe i'm haunted this way <laughs> you know, I was thinking, uh, Mary Beth, because you had mentioned the 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 scene of of Clay's character just poking the hole in the ramen, and yeah. and smelling it, which is a scene that is that has stuck with me all this time too. And I couldn't remember what movie it was from, but like I just I saw this, like oh my god, it was this movie. Like it just sort of clicked, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that I really like about about the opening of this film um, leading up to when we're starting to get to know Jen and her husband and 
and their and the mom character and starting to see their story is the way the movie does such a good job of keeping us um, off balance where like I realized that in the it's not until the detective is introduced about like halfway through that the story doesn't subtitle any of the Japanese that is being spoken once the, yeah. those characters are then it does it but like before that it puts us in like the the shoes of Jen where she is she tells a story about getting lost in Tokyo and, and not being able to talk to anyone because she doesn't speak uh, Japanese and no one was speaking English. And so that whole feeling of like being kind of a stranger in a, in a different land is like, I think it works really well in the opening parts of this when we're even when we're not talking about like the horror aspect. So, and that's interesting because I was thinking a lot about this as an American remake and how the man, I, I please correct me if I'm wrong. The man that directed the, Juan, which is the Japanese version of The Grudge, directed the American adaptation. Correct. Mm-hmm. Takashi. Of the Grudge. Takashi. Yes, Takashi. And then we have, I think that not didn't happen with, with the with the ring. There's a couple instances of like these Japanese horror movies being remade by the Japanese directors, but with Americans placed in Japan, which I think is a very interesting technique for those movies, and I think also. Like you said, Terry tries to create this kind of like, oh, you're not at home. You're kind of like lost, lost in translation. Mm-hmm. Annoying that that's actually a movie, but <laughs> a movie title <laughs> from a movie in Japan. But like, it's almost like they use that fe- that fear to kind of make up for what makes them scary in Japan. Because I feel like Japan has this really intense, not intense, but a very long folkloric tradition that is full of ghosts and and spirits, and like it's a very big big pantheon of these kinds of of those figures and those mean a lot in japanese culture so like when they talk about the grudge as this woman who has died and is very in, in an immense amount of anger and rage and it's just that's a story that's been you know part of japanese folklore for thousands of years and it's just always so interesting to see how they interpret that for american audiences because like we don't have that we don't have that kind of entrenched spiritual folkloric thing and so it's always fascinating to see how they try to adapt those that kind of um, cultural storytelling into something for American audiences. And I don't I don't think it's very successful all the time. Not that I don't like the grudge, but it's just interesting to see how we try to kind of shoehorn it into an American audience understanding. Yeah, but what I will say though is, is that what I what I did like about the fact that we do have uh, Takashi directing this one is that if we had had like an American director directing this it would have felt a little bit more exotic and i use that in quotation marks but what i really liked about the way it's filmed is that it 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 feels like a continuation of the work that he would do in the grudge so when there are the Mm. the scenes like of her walking through the town and stuff it's not like we're not going to like you know where there's kawaii type stuff or like it's like super animated it's like it feels like this real place and it doesn't feel it feels foreign to an american audience but it doesn't feel like it's being um, romanticized or exoticized or anything like that. I, and I think that's because you do have someone that is from Japan directing this, if that makes sense. That, no, yeah. that's actually a really good point. You're right. Cause it's not, they don't be like, Oh, I can't speak Japanese. Like there's, they talk about how she can't speak Japanese, but it's not made out to be this big thing where she's like, Oh my God, no one speaks English here. Like it's much more like, Oh, this is just a person who, a white American person who lives here. It's not like kind of made out to be this big dramatic difference which i think like you're you're right terry it makes it a little less like exotic land and more just like these people live here like it's just 
another day. So that's a good. I, I do agree with that. When, so when I saw this movie for the first time, I was it came out in two thousand four. So I was twenty three, and I will admit this movie scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> I think because. I think because like when when you are someone that has been raised on horror movies, you kind of know, especially with like a, a haunted house movie, you kind of know, mm-hmm. you kind of go in knowing what to expect, right? Because I've you know I've yeah. been raised on like the Poltergeist and like the Hauntings and like Hell House and all of these movies that that have a very traditional Americanized or Western UK and to some degree uh, feel to it. And so when I went to this movie, I was I was expecting you know oh it's going to be traditional ghost story set in this house it just sort of takes off immediately with right after bill pullman just lifts himself off and and throws himself over a balcony now we're following yoko as she's creeping around the house and i'm like "Uh, okay what what is going on here and then she (laughs) gets killed and then we're following like uh you know, Sarah Michelle Geller and, and her and her boyfriend. And then we're fall it just it just kept moving from place to place and it kept me on edge the entire time. And you want to talk about scenes that scared the shit out of us. It was the scene <laughs> where Oh, before we get to that, I want to I want to point out this cast is fucking stacked. It's, it's fucking stacked. Oh, there's Clay Duvall. Oh, there's Jason Bear with his Rob Thomas hair. There's Sarah Michelle Geller. And then I, I will say that the woman that plays um, Susan, for until uh, about five minutes before we start recording, I thought that was Julie Bowen. And it's not. Wait, who is it? It's someone named Katie Strickland. But I thought it was I thought it was Julie Bowen. So did I. I just yes, I thought it was a, a, someone similar to that because I was like, she looks so familiar, and Ted Raimi, and Ted Raimi, yeah. Oh, I love him. I love his face. I love his nerdy <laughs> little face. So the the scene that that scared the shit out of me, even as a twenty three year old, and I saw this in the movie theaters with a packed audience, and this was before smartphones, Ooh. so like, Oof. you know, everyone was a little bit more kosher in the movie theater than they are now so the not julie bowen character is she is like (laughs) running into her room and she gets under her bed and then the bed like blankets start to like move that there is something in the bed with her (laughs) and that was the moment that i was like nope no. <laughs> and I'll be honest, that gave me nightmares. Yeah. So the immediate effect of me watching this movie was that I would call my friends and I'd leave voice messages with like, oh, <laughs> all right, I chase them out of the theater making that noise. <laughs> oh, my God. And you were scared of and you were the one that was actually scared. Yeah. That's how, that's how you, you fight back. You make fun of it and you scare other people. You bring them down to your level, bully. Mary Beth. <laughs> <laughs> But that night, I remember turning off the light in my room and like running to my bed and just diving into it, tucking the covers underneath me so that like nothing could get under my covers. That's true. Like for all the for all the scenes that really stuck with me in terms of remembering them sort of out of place, the ones that really stuck with me as like affecting my actual life was that. Like, I was terrified of to even look under my covers, like when I just tuck my feet in and just not look, because I'm not going to watch it happen. And um, the shower 
scene with the uh, hand, like in the I I showered with my eyes open for like two months. <laughs> okay, so like let let me give you my embarrassing confession. Um, I for the longest time, like until a couple years ago, had to wear my glasses in the shower if I wasn't wearing my contacts, because I could not not see what was happening around me partially because of this movie i was like fuck that like i have to be able to see what's around me at any given moment like who knows i can't close my eyes um i'm I'm over it now but this movie made me very terrified of things that could come get me in the shower (laughs) even though it's only a hand that comes out of the back of her head i I mean let's let's be honest having glasses or being able to see is not going to help you from something on the back of your head Terry, I was just trying to rationalize my fear. Okay, I understand. But here we are. Here I am. I mean, the answer to your problem is that you should just run around going, oh, people. Because that's, that's how I got over it. God, and people will do that. So I was so I was such a fucking scaredy cat. Like, I loved horror, but I was such a scaredy cat. And people knew that would fuck with me. And at school, too. And they would do it around me at school. And I was like, y'all are mean. Like, really mean. Because they would all see it and like we'd talk about it and they're like, I already saw it, Mary Beth. Come on, you got to see it. I'm like, I'm too scared. Yes, life. And now look where I am. <laughs> well, see, the thing is, like, I am still that way. Like, I am still scared of so many things, but I still do this and everybody still like fucks with me about stuff. And I'm like, just want to write my horror criticism in peace. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay, so Terry. I have not seen the 2020 grudge. Yeah. I know you have. And I know you've talked about it before. But so tell tell us how it measures up to the 2004 version. I think it's better. <laughs> no really? shit. Really? I, it, but Caitlin, sorry. Caitlin, have you seen it? The 2020? I, I, okay. So here's the thing. I haven't seen it because I watched the trailer and the trailer did the hand thing. And I was like, no. Nope. Yeah. The trailer does do Again. the hand thing with John, with John Cho's character who is – so handsome. <laughs> I also have, I haven't seen it either, but Terry, like, can you give us a, a brief so, explanation of why you think it's better? What I think that this movie, what the sequel, well, well I'm going to call this a sequel. I think what this sequel did better than any of the sequels that were released before it was that, I guess they're calling it like a sidequel because basically yeah. um, mm. there's a woman that worked with Yoko, who was the the Japanese woman that was taking care of the family mm-hmm. um, who gets killed off in like the, <laughs> the first scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the other care providers there left the house and in the very first scene of the movie, she's calling Yoka saying like, yeah, I can't take it anymore. I'm just seeing something weird. I need to go home. And so she goes back home to the United States and then she murders her husband and her daughter oh. in a very similar way that the ghosts in this movie originally started you know started the whole gr- the, the grudge thing where she drowns her daughter and she murders her husband so it's very similar and then that house okay. becomes like the, the counterpoint to the house in the grudge where anytime someone step step foot in it they would carry the grudge with them and so again you have a stack cast you have john cho you have andrea risebro oh that's right she's in that um you have uh gosh what is her name that was in the hunt Betty, Betsy. Betty Gilpin. Betty Gilpin, okay. Yeah, Betty Gilpin. She's in it. Like, it's just, Lynn Shea is in it. Um, yeah. D- uh, D- Demi- Damien Bashir? I'm trying to think what I saw him in. 
He was he was the fa- father Burke and the nun. Okay, okay. Oh, so good. Yeah. So there's a lot. And Nicholas Pesci. He was in Weeds. Okay. Yeah, Nicholas and Pesci directed Nicholas Pesci. it. Okay. And it retains the sort of like nonlinear storytelling. So it tells a story of of events that happen after the lady kills someone, kills people in her house, and then it follows the detective that had that had investigated that. And then again, like a few years later when Andrea Riseborough's character comes into picture. And I, one of my complaints, I guess, about the, the 2004 grudge is that, and this is inherent in the way it's formatted is that you don't really get to know the characters. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think any of the characters in 2004 really have much character. It's just like, oh, that's Clea Duvall. Oh, that's Sarah right. Jessica or Sarah, Sarah Jessica, Sarah <laughs> Michelle Geller. Like they're banking on like, us knowing these people to like fill in their character. And so you, yeah. they don't really have much character growth because they're pretty much introduced and then killed off. I mean, that's pretty much the MO of the, of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. With the 2020, it spends a little bit more time on these different characters. And so I don't think they're as shallow as a character. Not, okay. I, I, I say shallow, but I, I don't mean that in like a pejorative way, but like there's more character development in here. Than there is in the 2004 okay. version. And mm. it also kind of reaches back to the Japanese version with like the OG OG one, the, <laughs> the curse. Because uh, there was Juwan the curse. <laughs> and then they remade it and released it in theaters as Juwan the grudge. And so the American, right. the American okay. version is based on Juwan the grudge. But there was a movie before oh. that called Juwan the curse. And it was released to video and in, in DVD or whatever in Japan. And oh. so it has like a smaller, um, like area of effect than than that oh. than the Grudge would eventually like become this huge thing. And so this movie kind of pulls back some story threads that were in that original The Curse. So I think it's I think it's a very smart movie. Oh. It's very sad. It's very traumatic and dramatic. A lot more so than uh, the original version. I think, okay. but yeah. I don't know. That's that's just my thoughts on it. Okay. Well, I want to watch it because I I Some enjoyed who? this one. Oh, cool. Because I love Nicholas Pesci. And mm-hmm. I did like the original, but the uh, – I'm sorry, Sarah Michelle Geller. I love you, but you can't act very well in this movie. <laughs> she just um, walks around like she's confused why she's here. I just – I mean that in so much respect, <laughs> but she has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> so, so, okay, can I just – so we were watching this, right, and my mom was like – when she gets handed the folder for this house, she's like, why does she already look afraid? <laughs> like, she's not even there yet, and she already looks so scared. It's so true when, when oh. she gets the folder, and it's like, you know, oh, you, you get your first, like, one-off today. And she just, like, looks at him like, what, why, what am I, what's my job? I'm, go- I'm going to a haunted house. It's like, what? No, What? <laughs> We're all going to die. <laughs> We're all going to die. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, it's just not, it's not the best. Acting, I feel like, is not a strong suit here. I think they really, the 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 focus were the scares, which yeah. were very good, and the effects. And I think they, I think they just wanted to have some pretty faces to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And it worked. I mean, people, people fucking saw this movie and talked about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, the ring in this movie is why we got so many right? fucking Americanized adaptations of, of movies because of the success of these two. Okay, here's a question, though. Which do you like better, The Ring or The Grudge? The Ring. Really? Yeah. 
This is a three-star movie for me. Oh, wait, we haven't gotten there yet. Caitlin? <laughs> so I think actually in terms of, like, the story and everything, I do actually like The Ring better. It just hasn't... I mean, it's stuck with me, but I, again, I watched it from, like, my kitchen while it was playing in my living room, so... <laughs> You're like, oh, and I was one of those people who, like, if my phone rang after that movie, I literally counted seven days out. And if everybody was still good, I was like, great, we, we did it. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. I could just keep coming onto this show with so many different movies. Like, I'm just scarred about everything. So I just had a very a very interesting thought, and this is just coming right off the dome. It is so interesting how with horror, with horror, even like so, I have OCD, and with horror, I would develop compulsions around horror stuff, like the counting, to make sure nothing bad happened. And like, it's such an interesting way that like we develop. If you're even like you know, you don't have to be OCD to have a compulsion, but like how we come up with those little rituals around horror movies, yeah, to make to, like to see like they're not like to feel like okay, I beat the monster, like running. To get into your bed and you're like feet don't show at the bottom of the of like of the blanket or counting how many days or like yeah i don't know it's just so interesting the kinds of like rituals we develop around trying to dissuade our fear assuage I our had fear a really so cool. uh, sort of strange one where like so for all the for all the scenes in this movie where people just like show up in windows or like toshio gets closer <laughs> with every like floor of the elevator right i did yes. like that i oh, yes. i love it and it stuck with me so deeply that I would like when we would go driving somewhere after that for the long I'm not even sure like when I stopped but I would just look out the window because I was like if I look away he's gonna be in my window (gasps) Ah! (laughs) I was like that in elevators but then I was the opposite I couldn't look because I was too scared I'd see him (laughs) so I was just like I don't want to face it I don't want to deal with it so yes (laughs) That's one anyway. thing I, I do think this movie does really well is, is putting those sort of like background scares in, in place. The elevator where she, you know, oh, gosh, she finally made it to the elevator. You know, you're she's might be safe. And then, you know, Toshio just keeps appearing closer and closer and closer. Or the face of um, Kayako showing up in the taxi. It was a taxi or bus at uh, the bus, I think. I when, think yeah, bus the bus. Yeah. 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 Or just like them sitting in the background or, you know, that kind of thing. Like I love, I love movies when they, when they do that. And there's a lot of those type of things in this movie that continually like keeps you again unsettled. Seriously. And again, that goes and that extends when they're looking through all the photos of the professor and his wife and then and she's, she's in the background. Yeah. She's yeah. just there. And I love, so again, that's another fun trope I like in horror movies that I feel like is I've seen in a lot of like Asian horror movies. I think I've seen it in, not Pulse, um, Shudder. Yes. The camera. Yeah. And like, oh, they're just nice, normal pictures. And you look deeper and it's like, oh, my God, there's something creepy there. Oh, I just I love it. I love it Mm -hmm. so much. It's such a creepy, cool trope that I love forever. So is there anything else you want to talk about The Grudge before I move into our final rating out of five? The only thing left I have to say, I think, is I just think it's really the, the realtor guy who like walks the family around the house and like finds sort of finds Toshio in the bath. Mm. And then the husband or whatever comes in and he's like, we'll take it. And he's like, great. I just found this, you know, dead child in this bathtub, but you can totally take this house. <laughs> well, and it, it, that would be laughed too because he like had his, his like arm, like elbow deep in the water and pulls his out elbow the hair. Deep in the water, he had hair in his hand and he's like shaking it off and having a panic attack. And he's like, we'll take it. And he's like, great. 
Great. It's like, it feels like one of those things, like in my head, I made up a narrative where the guy was like, I knew this shit was going to happen. It's haunted. I don't care. I just need to like not have this as part like on my like to-do list anymore. Someone please buy this house and not like, I don't want to deal with it. Cause like, imagine you are a realtor and you get the haunted house where like the gross murders happen. <laughs> like I want someone on this podcast who is a realtor who has had to sell a serial killer house. I want to talk to you about everything. What was yes, that please. like? <laughs> like, it sounds so silly, but I'm so fascinated about what it takes to do that and like how you sell it and like how honest you can be without jeopardizing a sale. I don't know. It's just so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some things I think about. <laughs> you know, the one th one thing I, I feel like we do need to talk about, though, is the the climax where Sarah Michelle Geller is walking up the stairs. And as she does, the the color filter changes so that like she's <gasps> immediately like in the past. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember thinking about that when I first saw this movie. But re on a rewatch, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Where she walks upstairs, and now she's like in the past. And then there's this really weird thing where it's like she is seeing the past play out, but the past might kind of see her in a yeah. way. Yes, I was. I had never. I didn't notice that until this time I watched it, and it was really that was really really cool. I thought that was really interesting. I also think that it kind of ties into that idea of this this curse that continues to linger where it's just playing out events that have happened and it's just going to keep playing out those same events at the climax of the film you kind of see that playing out in real time where she is up there and you know she's seeing peter and and seeing that whole thing fall apart and then when she falls back out of the room and down the stairs and the color changes back to the present and then you get the money shot of kayako doing the weird crickly body <laughs> crawl down the staircase and i love that sequence mm -hmm. so yes. much <sighs> so much what a good movie oh and the stairs speaking of the stairs i thought that happened again so much earlier i think i front-loaded all of the parts that scared the shit out of me <laughs> to the beginning and i didn't realize that there was like a whole movie and not just like six terrifying scenes back to back <laughs> to back like weird how your brain just takes those things and blobs them together it's very interesting. Well, I do kind of think that maybe that's also because of the way the movie is structured, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. you are getting scares in the beginning. You are getting scares at the end. You are getting scares in the middle. Like, it's just one giant jump scare through the entire film. It doesn't right? really give you any moments to, like, relax. Seriously. Okay. So, we've talked about this movie. Do we want to give it our rating out of five? Yeah. Terry. How many feral cat screeches slash uh, out of five do you give <laughs> the grudge? Um, I'm sorry I mean, I, for everyone listening that <laughs> fucked up your earbuds on, or ears. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of already mentioned that this is a three for me. Yeah, fair enough. I, you know, I, I, I like this movie a lot. When I first saw it back in 2004, I probably would have given it a, a four at that time. Because it just, it really did affect me back then. I don't, I don't know. For some reason, it doesn't scare me as much anymore. And I, I yeah, part of it is because like, I'm, I'm much older than I was when I was 23, obviously. But I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Am I? Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm, I'm Dorian Gray, secretly. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think, it didn't, it didn't work as well for me this time. I think I started to see some of the, like, 
the cracks in it where like, I was like, Oh, there's no character development. Like these characters, we don't really know much about them. Their own character gimmick seems to be that they are an American in Japan. That kind of stuff really jumped out at me this last time watching it. And I, I will say that I think that some of the sequences are really, are still really well done. I really like when, gosh, what is his name? The guy that William Mepother plays. Jen's husband. Oh. When Toshio pops up in front of the camera, that scared me. I actually jumped at that point. And then the 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 light gets tipped over, his shadow grows really large. That yes. whole sequence was really effective. The scene with the not Julie Bowen character <laughs> in her bed still is effective. I think the ending is effective, but there's I don't know. I just it didn't work for me as much as it used to. So for me it's three uh, out of five what about okay. you mary beth i'm gonna give it three and a half uh. out of five <laughs> i i'm still impressed with how <laughs> god damn it i am i'm still pretty impressed with how much this movie got under my skin i mean it didn't scare me as much as it did when i was a te- when i was younger because there was i don't think anything could scare me that way that i worked up this movie to be in my head but it's <laughs> delightful in a way to see like these effects being used and the way that this movie looks is still so creepy and yes the acting is not the best but it's just fun yeah and like you said it doesn't let up it, it's just like it's it's kind of lean and mean which sometimes i just love even though the characters are a little bit like stiff and archetypal it was it's fun um i want to watch the 2020 version now and i also need to see the original version or both original versions, versions, I guess. Oh my god, the <laughs> timeline of oh, the Grudge god. films in Japan is so convoluted. The Grudge it's so and convoluted. the Ray, both so of them. Weird. Yeah, I was writing about. They had this is a tangent. Sorry, guys. There was like a, a, a Sadako versus Kaiko. Oh yeah, Kaiko, and it was. Like I was trying to decipher the timelines and the charts that I read, and like the family <laughs> oh, trees yeah. and the timelines. I I still don't quite understand <laughs> but it it's it's a lot <laughs> i had the same problem when that when that new ring movie came out was it two years ago at, at fantasia fest i think now i think it was two yeah. fantasia fest ago mm-hmm. seeing the charts of like well this movie is a sequel to this movie but it's not a sequel to this movie over here and this is a different timeline <laughs> for me so the way the grudge and the ring are over in japan is is a, such a it's it's like comic books it's so it's like confusing mess of trying to keep track of what comic book series or what Juan series you're watching. Right? I was gonna say it's like it's like the Marvel cinematic universe, but with creepy ass ghosts. <laughs> Kaylin, you have a final word. Yeah. How many uh, out of five do you give the grudge? <laughs> uh okay, so I think I agree. I think I'll have to say three and a half. Uh I have to say three and a half. Uh, because you know, I did definitely notice more this time than the first time I watched it when I was petrified behind a pillow. Like, the acting <laughs> is, is not great. But for the most part, all of the things that really stuck with me when I was younger still... Like, I'm definitely going to be able to sleep tonight. Like, I would not have been able to sleep when I was 14, but I can... T- <laughs> but they still worked in sort yeah. of the same way to a less yeah. intense degree. Yeah. Which is really impressive for having come from like 2004. Not that the 2000s were a bad time. They were great, but you wouldn't expect something, you know, 20 years old to 
be right? as intense. The effects hold up a lot, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is amazing. absolutely. I also need to watch the 2020 version, and apparently there's also a book. And so because of who I am as a person, I need to find it and see what it's like. <laughs> and there's also a Netflix series um, yes. that is a sequel to, or that is like, a re they're, they're calling it like the real story behind you on the curse. <laughs> like, that's how they're, oh, for they're, the love of God. they're portraying <laughs> it. So. I can't. <laughs> but that's Sorry. on Netflix and that's also really good. Oh, it's, it's already up on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. It came out last summer. Oh, on oops. Netflix, it's a short, like I think five or six episode series. Okay, it's dark as fuck though. Have you seen it, Caitlin? I haven't watched it yet. It is in my queue. It's dark. Um, my my mom is like my horror movie buddy, so we try to watch those kinds of things together, uh, and we just haven't had the time yet. But yeah, I also haven't started it because everything I hear about it is like, man, it's really heavy. And it's very like, heavy. Oh, okay. It's very heavy. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us to talk about The Grudge. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up you'd like to share? I have a lot of things kind of stewing in my back brain. But so first of all, I guess um, I am on Twitter at 24th underscore doctor. I'm a huge Doctor Who I was going to ask, is this nerd. about Doctor yes, Who? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, that's pretty much my main social media hub. I, I have a Facebook, but I don't use it. I am basically only on Twitter. I have a bunch of things. I'm sort of kicking around starting a rape, revenge, and disability analysis series, <laughs> which is going to be, yeah, really good. Um, February is Women in Horror Month, and we at Kill a Horror Critic are trying to plan some really cool stuff. We're trying to find some organizations where we can get the proceeds from our articles to donate to those places. So we're still looking for organizations to donate to, but that's we're going to start that, I think, in February and then just keep it going. Like every other month or something, pick a new organization and have all of our proceeds from the articles go to that. Cool. So that'll be really cool. And yeah, this is our first year covering Sundance, guys. Yay! Mine too, and Terry's too. Yeah, it's awesome. Very exciting. Yeah. Um. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with the Grudge? Any variation of the Grudge? <laughs> can you put the series in in any kind of the yeah. chronological order <laughs> can, for us? Can you give? Yeah. Can you give us like a, a, a bulleted <laughs> list of where to start? Um, if that's possible, I don't think it is, but prove me wrong. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at mb McAndrews, and I'm Michaeli Treadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>